We're privileged now to read further from God's holy word. And this evening, the scripture reading is Psalm 91. And the sermon will also be based on this psalm. And the theme is, Always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Let's read the psalm together. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, could be with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. May the Lord bless you the reading of his word to us. Dear congregation belonging to Christ, preaching now on Psalm 91 is surely relevant. You know why I say that? It's because this psalm speaks to life in a world full of dangers and fears from all sides. How many people live with fears? What kind of fears? Well, you can mention health fears, family fears, school fears, church fears, spiritual fears, political fears, financial fears, work fears, world fears, etc. You name it. I had to smile when I was studying for this sermon. I came across one person speaking of people living with health fears, and this person commented on how some people today they take so many vitamins, they, quote, rattle when they walk. Now, that's not meant, please don't take it that way, as you shouldn't take vitamins. No, but it's illustrating the point of people living with many fears. Living in our perilous times today, you too may have fears and anxieties in different degrees, in one way or another, in various matters. Psalm 91, it gives us God's answer to all the fears of mankind. 
Indeed, most beautifully and wonderfully so. As Martin Luther said, God is a mighty fortress for his people, a bulwark never failing. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that the universal emergency number in North America is 911. There is no record, as far as I could find, that that was chosen in view of Psalm 91. But how very significant the comfort in all our fears as told us in Psalm 91.1, which some have also labeled as the Bible's 9-11 verse, especially after September 11, 2001. He who dwells in the this, in this shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. People have memorized, at least in Calgary I know some, who have memorized Psalm 91 and they repeat it often either at night when they go to bed or in the morning when facing a new day. It's a psalm declaring how we are always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Yes, come what may, Dial up this psalm, speaking reverently before God, in your fears and your troubles, and divinely supreme emergency help is given us time and again without fail. We are not told the human author of this psalm. Like in Psalm 90, you notice it says Moses was the human author. And many have said, well, Moses probably was the human author of Psalm 91 too, but the text doesn't say that, and we don't really know. And because we don't really know, the text doesn't say, we should leave it that way. And someone has well said, he said, with this psalm being in fact anonymous and timeless, perhaps it's all the more accessible for that. John Calvin, he called Psalm 91 the finest of psalms. And the one of the great preachers of the past, C.H. Spurgeon, he writes, quote, In the whole collection of psalms, there's not a more cheering psalm than Psalm 91. Its tone is elevated throughout, and faith is at its best here, and it speaks oh so nobly. Here, he said, is heavenly medicine against all plague and pest, and he who lives in its spirit will be fearless even in the most fearful of times. So let's just go through this psalm together, considering it under the theme as given in the bulletin, always safe and secure with the Lord as your and my refuge. Observe with me how in this one psalm, this is a, a gospel truth that is declared beautifully and illustrated bountifully and confirmed beyond measure. To see what a refuge and safe hiding place we find from all fears with the Lord, and that, is, that that is something declared beautifully, just notice the following details of the psalm with me, and it's good if your Bibles are open for this. The psalm is divided in three main parts, with the first part, the first two verses, one and two, testifying of the psalmist taking refuge with the Lord. And then the second part, verses 3 to 13, Either the same psalmist talking to himself or a fellow believer with him testify together of the boundless deliverances, surely with the Lord, time and again. And then in the third part of the psalm, verses 14 to 16, we see God himself become the speaker, giving final 
and most precious assurances of all that this psalm proclaims to us. Well, looking then at this first section now, who will not agree these verses, yes, they declare beautifully how safe and secure we always are with the Lord as our refuge. And, and to see this with me, look, for example, just at the four names for God given in the first two verses. He's called the Most High in verse 1, and again in verse 9. And this name for God, Most High, it emphasizes, doesn't it, He's high and lifted up. He's far above us. He's supreme over any threat or danger that we face in our lives. He is, so to speak, at the top of all things and of everyone, high and lifted up over all, so, so that literally nothing and no one is outside of His control and His sovereign direction and care and keeping. Doesn't this explain what you may have heard, too, as a, a wise saying in the challenges of life. I mean the saying which says, when, when you look around, you get perplexed. When you look within, you get depressed. But when you look up, you get blessed. Yes, that's true when you look up to the Most High, God. How good what one wrote about God as the Most High in this regard, saying, quote, Most High for God is a title that cuts, cuts down to size every threat against us. Let me say that correctly. Most high for God is a title that cuts every threat down to size for us. And it's true. I mean, God, the most high, he can handle and turn around for our good the most perplexing things when trusting and following him. And should you doubt this, well, consider the second of the four names for God in the text. Not only is, the mo is he the most high, but he's the all-powerful God. He's, he's the omnipotent one. What, is, what does the text say? He's the almighty one. Psalm 91 opens with verse 1, beautifully declaring, He who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. Well, the second title means trusting the Lord especially too in our times of fear and, and trouble, this we may know always. What is impossible with us is yet possible with God. And that's true in connection with all our spiritual struggles, but in connection with any struggle and trouble in our lives as well. The Lord's hand is not shortened to perform wondrous things in any case, even to cause the greatest dangers and threats in our lives to turn yet out for our good and our prophet, somehow, some way. And I came across a beautiful illustration for this. One of my colleagues, he went to a ministerial in the town where he labors, and the ministerial, the ministers were telling their life story, and one of the ministers said how he was born and raised not in a Christian family. And in fact, he was raised in a home where mom and dad didn't get along, and in fact, his parents divorced when he was a young boy. And it shattered him. It broke him. Don't let anyone ever tell you divorce doesn't hurt kids. It does. It does. But somehow, in God's kind providence, in this boy so broken, he came across the gospel. The gospel came to him, and he got saved. 
And not only did he get saved, in due course, he became a minister of the gospel. But the story gets better yet. When his divorced dad heard his, he went to hear his son preach, he got saved. It's a true story. And a little while later, his divorced mom, and they never married anybody else, she went to hear her son preach, and she got saved too. And guess what? They both said to each other, we're Christians, and we divorced, but we shouldn't be divorced. And so they got back together. They hadn't married anybody else, and there weren't other issues involved, so they got back together. That's a beautiful story. You say, oh, that, that's pretty exceptional. You know what? The older I get, I find out for myself and for every Christian, all of our stories are pretty exceptional, testifying of an almighty God with amazing grace for sinners like us. Isn't that true? It's a wonderful thing. God is almighty. And Jesus, what did he say when he arose from the dead as Savior of sinners? He says in Matthew 28, all authority, and you could translate, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 19, about what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of God in his great might that he worked in Christ. Yes, in his perfect salvation work, climaxing in Jesus' exaltation, seated in heavenly places at God's right hand. Psalm 91 testifies of trusting in God Most High and God Almighty and how safe and secure we are always in His hands, under His care and keeping. Should you question it still and think, yeah, but is God still the same? Well, then let's go to the third name for God given in the first two verses. What is the third name mentioned in verse 2? It's the name Lord, capital letters, referring to Jehovah God, Yahweh, and telling us He is the ever self-existent God who never changes. He is the faithful covenant-keeping God, and He can always be relied on safely. The Lord God, He never weakens over time. He never changes any time, and He never retires any time. He is the Lord, the great I am, that I am God, ever true to all his word and promises. He is never different from all his word tells us about him. And if we are wise, we always prove his word in application and supplication to him in our every need. As the text puts it, the believing psalmist testifies, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress... Is this what we testify to, you and I? Shouldn't it be so for all of us as covenant people of God? What reasons so to trust and follow him, considering also the fourth title for the Lord in the text being the name God. You see it there in verse 2? My God in whom I trust, says the psalmist. The word God here refers not to the idol gods of man's making, but to Elohim the one only true God, the eternal triune God. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible opens in Genesis 1, verse 1. God made this world good, and he called Adam and Eve, didn't he, to ever trust and serve him. But they failed miserably, and we failed miserably in them. 
And ever since, this fallen, rebellious world is full of false gods, idol gods of our own making. Yet the Lord God of the Bible and of Psalm 91, He is the one only true God. He is the God for real. He is the God who created us. He is the God who provides for us and the God who alone can save us from all our sins and evil. Paul testifies of this same one only God beautifully in Philippians 4, 19 to 20, saying to believers in his day and for all time, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father, to God and Father, to the God, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Oh, dear congregation, put these four names together. And will anyone here among us not say in spirit and truth, either for a first time or else in ongoing faith, my God, in him will I trust. To see and hear more how, how always safe and secure we are with the Lord as you are my refuge, notice too how the psalmist speaks of finding refuge and fortress with God. And in verse 4, he tells of God being his shield and his buckler. And we could expand on those terms, but we don't have time. But all these terms, they testify of such safekeeping and such supply and protection for us, ever trusting the God of Psalm 91. Reformer John Calvin speaks on God as our shield, and he says so gloriously, quote, There's no kind of calamity which the shield of the Almighty cannot ward off and repel. When shielded by Him, oh, we are safe and secure. We can't miss either, can we, how close this one true God will care for us and be near us and keep us. What does does the text say? It speaks about abiding and dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty. And that, that means, doesn't it, he, he must be so near to us. And we must have him always near to us. And that's who God is in Christ. He's so near to us. And children, you, you understand this, right? To walk in someone's shadow, that person needs to be nearby, right? And so is the Lord, dear congregation, for his people. As many as take refuge with him in true repentance and faith. And notice in verse 4, most touchingly, We are told that finding escape from fear of danger with him, oh, the Lord will cover you with his pinions. I I like feathers better as a translation. It it feels more close. He'll cover you with his feathers, and, and under his wings you will find refuge. This beautiful picture, congregation, it's likely not just one that reflects a a parent bird in its tender care for for the baby birds. But, and it's watchful protection for them. But even more, it may be a reference to, if you know your Bibles, to the, to the wings of the cherubim overshadowing the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies. You, you may remember this, how with that Ark of the Covenant, the two cherubim angels, they, they face each other, and their wings are touching right above the mercy seat, where the blood of the sacrifices was sprinkled for the atonement of the people's sins. And you see, this is all telling us that dwelling close and in with the Lord 
and especially in view of Christ, the promised Redeemer in this case from the Old Testament yet, it means always that, that almighty saving help and everlasting refuge for soul and body can be found with God our Savior. Yes, ultimately through His promised Redeemer, Jesus Christ the Lord. Does, does this all make sense to you as we go through this psalm? We read in Psalm 61, David says, Oh, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shadow of your wings. Is that your, is that your desire too? Isn't that the desire of God's people? Once and again and again. Also when coming to church. And oh, that we all might so trust and wait upon the Lord in all our fears and struggles. For always, as Psalm 91 makes so clear, with God as our refuge. Notice with me not only how it's declared beautifully how safe we are with him in this psalm, but also it's illustrated bountifully too, coming to our second main point. After the declaration of a certain unnamed believer in the verses 1 to 2, it looks like either the psalmist talking to himself or another believer alongside of him responds to the first outburst of the psalm and says, for sure, for sure, God, he will be there for you, whatever danger and fear you and I may have. And then in the second part of the psalm, we are given a whole list and range of dangers that we can meet with in life and that God provides deliverance from, truly, and time and again, regardless how threatening they may appear to us. When you read through the verses 3 to 13, it's true, isn't it, what one commentator wrote, most of the terrors mentioned in this psalm are left more or less undefined, and, and no doubt intentionally so, so that for us no kind of danger is omitted from application. In other words, believers in every age can read this psalm to learn that nothing can harm a child of God unless the Lord permits it. That being said, it's profitable for us to glean a few observations from the whole range of dangers listed in verses 3 to 13 that God takes care to deliver his people from. Consider, his deliverance and protection for his people is 24-7 coverage. That's pretty good, isn't it? 24-7 coverage. Whether the danger be in the daytime or at nighttime. You know, as children, and even older ones, we can sometimes be afraid in the dark. And we just had the time change last week, and it gets dark by the time we're out of church. But listen, as Psalm 91 tells us, when trusting the Lord, you and I don't have to be afraid of the terror of the night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. And whether the threat be as a pestilence that stalks in darkness or as destruction that lays waste at noonday, we are safe and secure, trusting the Lord God Most High. Also, whether the danger be subtle attacks, like that of a fowler or trapper out to ensnare us, or it be instead an open, relentless attack sweeping upon us that we even see coming, yet God Most High remains the safe refuge and fortress, our shield and buckler in all our needs. And that's true, too, whether the attacks may be on our body with disease or plague or, or against our soul with satanic attacks against us, looking to destroy us. Let's not forget that this psalm 
as told us in New Testament Gospels, was one that the devil used, especially to tempt Jesus. You remember? He wanted to tempt Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, saying, you know, the angels will take care of you. The devil's a sly, mean tempter. Someone has observed, too, the reference in verse 13 to lion and adder and serpent or dragon as threats against us may all be like images of Satan and his ways. For elsewhere in the Bible, Satan is described in those terms. But congregation, whether the devil comes against us as a roaring lion or as a poisonous snake or a sly serpent or a fierce dragon, yet he can and will be overcome by us. No, not in our own strength. No, never, as God's people will testify. But with God as our refuge and hiding place. Regardless of the dangers and threats also have seen coming long before or just totally unexpected troubles, and whether the perils be from those around us or from within us or from authorities of the day or even from other nations, yet God's people need not be afraid when God is our refuge and strength and our very present help in trouble. Yes, again, true of ourselves and left to ourselves, Let's never forget it either. The strongest are as helpless as the most weak. But as Paul jubilantly says in Romans 8, 31, if God is for us and with us and in us through Jesus Christ, who then can be against us? Doesn't Psalm 91 bountifully illustrate this also? And not only speaking of, of protecting his people, God protecting his people from danger, but also helping them in danger. And here we look at verses 11 to 12, telling us about God sending his angels to guard and keep us and to carry us away even from all destructive forces and attacks and events in our lives. We don't think about this too much, but God sends these unseen heavenly agents to protect and defend his people who seek refuge with him. That's real. And how right, again, what one commentator said, let us take note, the Lord doesn't send just one guardian angel for each of his people, as some fondly say, no, but all the angels are here alluded to. Once more, reformer John Calvin, he comments so rightly, the Lord doesn't assign one angel to each saint, but commissions the whole armies of heaven to keep watch over every individual believer. The angels are God's bodyguard for his people. And notice, they are, they are provided not just to keep us in some of our ways, but as we read in verse 11 very clearly, to guard you in all your ways. Can it get better than that? In Hebrews 1, we are told the angels are ministering spirits for God's people as heirs of salvation. Christ, by his salvation work, also reconciled the angels to be there for the protection and defense of his people. And while a lot of this we don't understand and it's a mystery to us, yet it's a great comfort, surely, that it's a fact told us in the Bible. And as one well said, perhaps we shall one day stand amazed at the multiplied services which the unseen heavenly hosts have rendered to us as sent forth by God Most High for our well-being in soul and body. And can you imagine in glory 
having the heavenly hosts given by God to minister to us for eternity. What a blessing. What a hope. What a future for God's people. We learn from Jesus when tempted by the devil, as I mentioned, to go his own way and yet to trust that God would send his angels to protect him that we may not so interpret Psalm 91. And thank God Jesus didn't fall for that wicked, sly temptation of the devil. People say that today. You can live in sin and God will be there for you anyway. No! When you follow the Lord, you do not live in sin. You may sin. We all sin. But you do not live in sin. You cannot. You don't want to. You pray God not to. Thank God Jesus didn't fall for that wicked, sly temptation of the devil. And Jesus would not sinfully test angelic protection as the devil proposed. And the result also was, as we are told, did you know that? In Matthew 4, 11, that God sent angels to minister to Jesus in his bodily needs after 40 days of severe testing and trial from Satan in the wilderness. And so it is, dear congregation, with all God's people as taught here in Psalm 91. Oh, when you and I, as confessing Christians, seek and serve the Lord and in spirit and truth, this is the great gospel comfort that God withholds nothing and pulls out all the stops, as it were, to guide and keep us, regardless the dangers and the distresses from within or around us. So we read triumphantly the believer's testimony and hearty confidence of the psalmist, saying in verse 9, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. And this, again, I think you understand, should not be interpreted to mean that believers never run into problems and never have great challenges and struggles. Many of you will know and experience that you do. But, but the devil doesn't win ever. Ultimately, we overcome all the troubles and struggles in and through Christ Jesus with us and for us, no matter what, no matter what we go through. And then in verse 13, it even says, it makes clear, following the Lord, we are not only made survivors from evil, but we also are made victors over sin and evil as pictured in trampling underfoot our deadly foes. And the Apostle Paul says, one day God's going to make it that we trample underfoot even the devil himself. Romans 16, we read that. So, putting it all together, verses 3 to 13, just scanning our verses, you might say, you agree both unmistakably and beautifully and bountifully, it illustrates and promotes our sermon theme on the whole of Psalm 91. Always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. Almost you would think that the Apostle Paul had this psalm open when he wrote by the Spirit, Romans 8, you know, where he said, Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, regardless what comes. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's what the Bible teaches. Oh, yes, dear people of God, this may be all the true Christian's persuasion and comfort and confidence. And if you still may struggle with doubts and lack of assurance about this, well, then, the last part, last part of the psalm should clinch it for us in a most wonderful way. And here we come to our third observation. The gospel truth confirmed beyond measure in the last verses of the psalm, verses 14 to 16. As I mentioned to you, in this part of the psalm, 
Another speaker testifies in this psalm about the true safety and refuge found for us in and with the Lord as our trust and hope in life. One preacher said it in this last section, it's like a minister expounding the rich message given, but then there's another minister in the audience, and he stands up and he says respectfully, now move over, brother, and let me add now to what you've all said, indeed, to confirm it beyond measure. But here, dear congregation, what is most moving to realize is that really, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the last speaker in this psalm is not simply another minister, but he's none other than God himself taking over. And yes, we may even say he's none other than God in Christ Jesus, the pre-incarnate Savior. Indeed, he's the promised Messiah, Savior of sinners himself who now speaks in the remaining verses of this psalm. We know, don't we, that in the fullness of time, God would send his Son into this fallen, rebellious world, this cursed world, and that Jesus Christ, the Savior, he, in the place of sinners like us, what would he do? Well, he himself would suffer all the dangers, all the distresses in this fallen world. And, and he would face the relentless attacks of Satan, the devil, to the max. And he would bear as the just for the unjust all the righteous fury of God's wrath against sin. And he would pay the full punishment for all his people's sins, suffering no less than the equivalent agonies of eternal hell in soul and body as substitute for sinners like us. And take note, there was no one there to shield him. There was no one there to shield him. But he did it all gladly and humbly and willingly to once for all and forevermore be his people's perfect, complete Savior and deliverer and defender. This is the precious gospel. He's our refuge, strong and sure, in soul and body, in life and death, for now and forevermore, through his person and work as Savior. So an older Psalter version of this portion of Psalm 91 also reads, quote, Because on me he set his love, I will his constant Savior prove. And since to him my name is known, I will exalt him as my own. And in that light, then, dear congregation, listen to the divine speaker, our Savior God himself, as he reverently speaking now, comes on stage. What does he say? Notice, praise God, he doesn't contradict anything said so far in this psalm, but he only most graciously and gloriously and grandly affirms it and confirms it and underscores it beyond measure. He testifies in verse 14, because he that is the believing psalmist and all true believers, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Yes, and because he has known my name and calls out to me, of this all he may be sure, and of this all God's repentant, believing people may be sure. And then, notice the text, we are given, we are given eight I wills from God toward his people. Six stated emphatically, and two I wills implied. And what are they? Listen to the text. The Lord God says, trusting him and depending on him, 
This all you can know and be assured of without a doubt. I will deliver him. I will protect him, literally. I will set him on high. I will answer him when he calls upon me. And I will be with him in trouble. And I will rescue him. And implied, I will honor him with long, that means full, fulfilling life. I will satisfy him. And I will, implied, show him my salvation. Oh, what more could anyone ever want or need, beloved, than such splendid confirmation from God himself of his wondrous care and keeping for all who trust and follow him? Spurgeon comments just on the, I will protect him, I will set him on high. Literally, from all his foes, Spurgeon comments, if we climb on high, and children, you know that, if we climb on high, it may be dangerous and precarious. But if God sets us up there on high, even with the most high, oh, it's glorious and safe forever. Isn't that just so true? When God says to in the very last phrase, I will show him my salvation, that last word salvation is the same root word for Joshua, meaning Jehovah saves. And the New Testament word for that is Jesus, referring to Jesus, the Savior of sinners. We can say God says, congregation, at the end of Psalm 91, for the people back then and for the people today, he will show his people Jesus Christ by his word and spirit, in all his fullness and glory, in all his perfect, priceless person as Savior of sinners, and all his priceless, perfect salvation work through his sin-atoning, Satan-defeating, sinner-saving, God-pleasing, once-for-all sacrifice, even to the death of the cross. Oh, in and through Christ Jesus and faith in him, the crucified and risen Redeemer. What do we say? What does the Bible say? There is plentiful redemption and constant protection and endless defense and ceaseless forgiveness and everlasting righteousness already here and now. And then there's the gift of eternal life for us in the new heavens and earth to come, that new realm that God is preparing for all his own. The last phrase, I will show him my salvation, should have us think of when Jesus, you know, after he had died for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, as Paul says, we are told when he was raised, he made a, quite a number of visits to his disciples. And for what purpose? Well, that he might show them his salvation, that he might remove all their fears and show them his salvation, and so equip them also to tell others the good news of the gospel, beginning at Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And, when they, and we know when they saw and believed and the Holy Spirit of God came upon them on Pentecost, oh, how they were compelled to go out to tell others. Yes, in Jerusalem and throughout the whole world of the God of our salvation. Indeed, the one only true God, so great and glorious. Who can compare with this God of the Bible? And God's people finding refuge and salvation and everlasting security from all sin and evil in and through him, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as mentioned in the beginning of this sermon, may God, with this reflection on Psalm 91, mightily bless and strengthen all you who here who truly believe and, and, and not be afraid in life, come what may. 
but, but go forward, ever relying on this Lord God and rejoicing in the Lord and testifying of Him to others, even as the psalmist of Psalm 91 did in his day. And when it's the case that you, hearing this sermon or here in church or online, and, and you are yet an unbeliever, won't you today seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near? The whole psalm surely makes clear, apart from the Lord God as our Savior and Deliverer and salvation, we people perish in our sin. We will be cast away in everlasting righteous punishment in the, in the bondage of hell. You know, sometimes people say in life here, we've gone through hell, and I understand that, when they've gone through really hard times, like that, that 84-year-old lady who was in a captive in, with, by the Hamas and in the Hamas tunnels, etc. She, she said she went through hell, and, and in a certain sense that may be true, but in another way it's not true. There's only one who went through hell, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went through hell that we don't have to go through hell. But if you don't believe in him, if you don't call to him to be your Savior and Lord, you will go to hell, and you won't come out. You won't go through it. You'll stay in it. But today is still the day to escape hell, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Savior God. The Lord engages us and calls us to trust and follow Him, and He will be the God of Psalm 91 also for you. Don't anyone here either be content with just a form of religion and just half-heartedly looking to God and being more double-minded and two-faced in looking to the Lord. No, the psalm makes clear when you study it, those who know and rejoice in the rich gospel treasures and blessed security for soul and body in life and death, for this life and the life hereafter, who are they? They are those who call on God sincerely and wholeheartedly and steadfastly. And you know there's no safety nor salvation for you except you dwell in the secret place of the Most High and abide under the shadow of the Almighty, always needing Him, always calling upon Him and loving His name and pleading His mercy and trusting Him. Even so, God triune invites us, doesn't He? So to trust and follow Him, and He will show you His salvation. He delights to do so in all your life journey now and then forevermore in the world to come. May the fruit of this sermon on Psalm 91 then be by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit that the theme of this psalm and sermon be all our joyful comfort and happy testimony to letting one and all know how we are always safe and secure with the Lord as our refuge. What a mighty fortress is He, a bulwark never failing. And when you need reminders of it, then read this most cheering psalm again and again with its precious gospel truth declared beautifully, illustrated bountifully, and confirmed beyond measure. Safe, forever safe, completely safe in the arms of Jesus, in the secret place of the Most High, dwelling under the shadow of His wings. Thus saith the Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. Please bless us that we not be afraid even in our fearful times, but that we find our refuge with you and that we have a peace which passes understanding even in the fiercest of storms and troubles and struggles. 
that we may meet with in life. And use us, Lord, to testify to others who may be so fearful the way of true comfort, the only comfort in life and death for soul and body, and that is of belonging to Jesus Christ in spirit and truth. Oh, so bless also this sermon and this Lord's Day together here and hear our prayer and receive our praise in the forgiveness of all our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.